Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We have our fourth quarter well underway here. We're on lesson two. Well underway. Well underway. We're talking about Moses' history lesson, and there's a lot to cover in this week's lesson. <laughs> but before we get to that, we I was need... just going to say Moses' history lesson. We have a little contention with a, with a contributing uh, uh, editor, author here. <laughs> it, Deuteronomy is all Moses' history lesson, so we're kind of having a hard time. But other than that, Good lesson. Fair enough. Well, we can get into that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But we have some housekeeping items to talk right. about before we dive into the substance of our study today. What, what is on our what's on our plate? Well, first of all, um, just want to make a note that many of you are watching this on our YouTube channel, the Emanuel Institute YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you are not. You can access that channel through our website, Michigan SSPM. Dot org on the resources page, right under Talking Points. If you subscribe to that channel, you will automatically get the updated Talking Points when they post. So you don't have to there look for it on social media or email times, or something. Yeah. Because we don't have an outside department firm, somebody doing this. <laughs> and there have been times where the lessons didn't post right when they were supposed to. And so if you're subscribed to that, you'll get that link right away. So anyway. Okay. So another avenue to get these resources is the Emanuel Institute YouTube page. Now, talk about emails. What do we need yes. to do here? So sometimes we receive department emails. Cameron and I, some of you may not, a lot of people don't understand conference work. It's like when we were pastors, people thought you preach on Sabbath and then what do you do all week long, yeah. right? In the conference office, what do you do? And we sit in a lot of meetings and so there are people who call and leave emails and sometimes we're in full day meetings. Mm-hmm. And then we go home at the end of the day and say, like, why didn't you get my email today? So we have a department secretary, which we were, we didn't during a, the COVID months. Yeah. And if you want to contact her, S.L. Howard, S-L-H-O-W-A-R-D at M-I-S-D-A dot O-R-G with any of your questions for us, that gets through to us and we can get back to you in the most timely manner. So if you have questions, need Sabbath school supplies and other things that we've highlighted, that's the way to go. All right. One more housekeeping item. The actual document itself. The, the, how, yes. do, how do people access it and what do they do with it? Okay, well, you'll find on our michigansspm.org website resources page under talking points, you'll have the weekly outlines. There's a link and there'll be three formats on our site. One says a device format, one says single-sided, and one says double-sided. Mm-hmm. And people have requested all of those formats and it used to do them in PDF and they said, we want to be able to edit it. So we've made it as simple as, well, as simple as possible. There's tons and of kind options. Of um, but when it comes to the, uh, the uh, device, the device outline is just one page front and back because on a device you don't need two sides of something typically. Uh, the others are for printout and the two side printout, some people have figured, how do I get a two side printout? It's a half page like this. It's laid out that way. When you print it, look at the double sided options in your printer options and select to flip it on the short edge. Anytime you have double sided, it gives you that option. And we'll do, we're planning to do a video of some of these things in the future, but uh, we want you to be able to use these resources. You don't have to, of course, you can feel free to modify them. They are editable or in PDF format, but we provide them so that you have that uh, uh, opportunity as another resource to use in your SAP school. All right, and speaking of opportunities, we want to remind you, and this is our last uh, housekeeping item, but on October 29 to 31, uh, just a few weeks away now, we have our Sabbath school workshop, and we're going to talk about uh, all the different things involved with adult Sabbath school lesson teaching and, and mission and, and involvement of people and how to increase the attendance and all kinds of things there, so you don't want to miss that at Campus Abel, and the registration is at michigansspm.org. All right. 
Yes. Let's get into the lesson. The itself. Moses history lesson itself. Yes. Pastor Howard, you were the one who studied this one out and outlined our lesson study this week. Yes. What do we have? You know, I want to revisit something for talking points. Our the whole point for talking points is that there's a lot covered in these lessons, and a lot of times when you're an adult Sabbath school teacher trying to cover everything, you just can't. You're trying to get interaction in the class and what have you. This is an example. This week, there are pieces in every day. I could have made a talking point out of every day's lesson, even the Sabbath afternoon's lesson. Mm. And so, um, obviously, it gives you too much stuff. You so I highlighted on those things right. that I thought would be the most helpful. Um, and you may come up with some different things. But here we're, here's what I drew out of the lesson this week. Um, talking point number one, God is a God of order. Drew that from Tuesday, uh, Tuesday's lesson in the quarterly. Number two, talking point number two, God's reputation is at stake in the great controversy. Mm. I was going to put in the dealing with his people, but it kind of made it too long with great controversy. <laughs> I drew that from Wednesday's lesson, um, this week's lesson. And then finally, talking point number three, God's justice is the fruit of his love. And I do that from Thursday and Friday's mm. lessons. And that's what we're going to look at. Some this pretty week. heavy themes we're going to be addressing oh, yes. this week. So uh, let's not waste any more time. How about uh, we have a word of prayer and then you lead us through each yes. one of those. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to study your word. And especially as we study the themes that have been outlined here, uh, please send your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding and let the Sabbath school classes that discuss these things have that same wisdom and understanding from on high. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, talking point number one, God is a God of order. And all of these themes, as you said, are weighty themes, and we can't exhaust them here. That's not our intention. Um, may not be even looking up the extent of all the passages. The lesson on Tuesday takes us to this idea of Israel is growing as a nation, and then points us to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, where Moses recounts the um, what we call the Jethro principle. Do you have mm -hmm. that there where you want to... Well, I was just looking up that text, Numbers chapter 1, uh, I mean, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapters 1, 12 through 17 says, again, this is Moses speaking to his people, how can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, this thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brother and then the righteous between, uh, and judge righteously between a man and his brother on the strangers with him. Am I reading too far? No, we're still going. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's pre uh, presence, for the judgment is God's. The case is too hard for you. Bring it to me and I will hear it. Okay, so Moses is Ooh. recounting something we already saw earlier in uh, Exodus. And I mentioned the Jethro principle because it was his father-in-law Jethro who gave him these principles and Moses adopted them. And not only did Moses adopt them, we see them throughout church history. And those principles that God... being the organizing principles, for instance. That's exactly right. when Jethro encountered Moses, he was doing trying to do all the functions of That's everything exactly for right. himself. And he said, what you're doing isn't good. Oh boy, oh boy. We could say so much on this. This is the modern pastorate where we've mm. gotten to, and it's not, not, not what we're reading, but the modern pastorate is what Moses was doing before <laughs> when Jethro said, what you're doing is not good. Well, yeah, it's interesting because this is obviously ancient history, right? Old Testament Israel. Yeah. And you think, well, the New Testament church, they were just led by the Spirit, and it was yeah. just a freewheeling. <laughs> but 
you know, as you've, you know, I and think they were led by the spirit they into were organization. Exactly. <laughs> and so you get to the New Testament and lo and behold, the church is organized for service again. That's right. And so the lesson highlights this on Tuesday, just the importance of order and organization in the church. We see it modeled here. It became a key to Israel's success. And it's interesting that it was in the context of Israel's growth in numbers that necessitated the need for organization. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times today, organization is a top-down, like we start with the organization and we, ma and we manage the growth, or we, we initiate the growth. But when you see it in the Bible, it was the fact that the, the you know, church was growing. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Uh, New Testament church, it was growth that drove the need for administration. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 6, the appointment of the deacons. Why? Because the church is too, there's too much going on, and we, have too and we need to keep on ministering the word and not waiting tables. And so right. the church had this organization. Uh, it was more thoroughly organized. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting also that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of those first deacons appointed in Acts chapter 6, mm -hmm. refers to the church of Israel as the church in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So that organizational structure we find throughout Scripture. Right. And so we should be, you know, it's interesting that, the, you know, the, in Moses' time, the temptation naturally is just do it all yourself. But he, the mm -hmm. Lord says through Jethro, you got to organize this thing better. That's right. And you look at the apostles' time, the temptation of the apostles to do it all. But, you know, you got to organize for service. And, you know, there's a statement I think you have in the notes there. Yes. It talks about this need for organization as well, a godly Well, I'm going to have you read that. I just want to highlight before we read it, you had made the point, And the reason that we're bringing this up is this has always been, you know, why are we talking about this? There is this mindset as you mentioned, the, early, the, the New Testament church, oh, they were just spirit-led. And for many people, spirit-led equals emotional, whimsical, wherever yeah. I'm going to go. Like, no order, Certainly no not planned. Certainly not, yeah, structured. And to the point that when people start talking about, well, we need to sit down and have some meetings and plan some stuff and write it out. Oh, no, 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 let's not get ahead of the spirit. It's almost right. as if it's, it's contrary to mm -hmm. spiritual things. Like, to be spiritual is to be just disorganized and whimsical and led wherever. But to be, um, you know, to, to, to be orderly, yeah. well, that's... It's almost the enemy of spirituality, and that's exactly, right? Yeah, and that's exactly the language. So why don't you read this from Testimonies, way back in Testimonies, Volume 1, page 650. Sure, it says, Satan well knows that success can only attend order and harmonious action. He well knows that everything connected with heaven is in perfect order, that subjection and thorough discipline mark the movement of the angelic host. It is his studied effort to lead professed Christians just as far from heaven's arrangement as he can. Therefore, he deceives even the professed people of God and makes them believe that order and discipline are enemies to spirituality. Now, pause there and let, that's what we're talking What does it mean, enemies to spirituality? In right. other words, spirituality is, is, is this free... It's you know, the exact flowing, opposite of organ, organization. Uh, uh, unstructured. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, and, and, and to be orderly is an enemy to spiritual. That's a deception of the devil from mm. his well-studied efforts <laughs> to trip up the church. It's fascinating. Yeah. She goes on to say, Satan's line of reasoning, that the only safety for them is to let each pursue his own course and to remain especially distinct from bodies of Christians who are united and are laboring together, uh, to, uh, laboring to establish dis discipline and harmony of action. All the efforts made to establish order are considered dangerous, a restriction of rightful liberty, and hence as are feared as popery. These deceived souls consider it a virtue to boast of their freedom to think and act independently. They will not take any man's say-so. They are amenable to no man. I was shown that it is Satan's special work to lead men to feel that it is in God's order for them to strike out for themselves and choose their own course, independent of their brethren. 
I was pointed back to the children of Israel. Very soon after leaving Egypt, they were organized and most thoroughly disciplined. So it's interesting, and I hadn't realized it before, this lesson, the context that she, in, after stating this, points right back to what we're looking at exactly. in Deuteronomy in this experience of the organization of Israel that continued all the way through the scripture. The organization of the church was God's order, not man's order, mm -hmm. and the devil has ever since been trying to disrupt that by making people think that to be spiritual is to be disorderly. Right, and I know that you mentioned, like, why would you even be talking about this? We've got so much... Well, apparently, Satan knows the power of organization. That's Christ exactly is trying right. to organize, and we have this misconception that the Lord is trying to clear up, that order and organization are not enemies to spirituality. That's right. Okay, so moving on to talking point number two, God's reputation is at stake in the great controversy, in the context, specific context, in the dealing, his dealing with his people. Uh, Wednesday's lesson brings this out about halfway through that when Moses intercedes for the children of Israel after their failure at Kadesh Marnia, mm -hmm. he has a special concern, and that concern has to do with how the nations are going to regard God. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, the the if you'll read Numbers 14, 13 to 16. Sure. Uh, scripture says, And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken. And he goes on to explain. Mm -hmm. So what's fascinating here is that Moses' concern is that the failure of God's people is going to have a direct reflection mm -hmm. on how the nations view God. Which is true. It's a very big deal. And yeah. it's not the only time that it's brought up. It's interesting that uh, uh, the similar thought is brought up by Moses in Exodus 32.12, also in Deuteronomy 9.28. And it's really fascinating if you go into the actual taking of the land of Canaan, that in Joshua chapter 5, the Bible tells us that the, the, the young men were not circumcised. Those born in the wilderness were not circumcised in the wilderness. Not until they were going to come into the promised land were they circumcised. And you read about that in uh, Deuteronomy chapter, I'm not sorry, Joshua chapter 5. And what's interesting is then Joshua, when he circumcises the males, and they're about to take the land of Canaan, he says, now, actually, it's when they come into the land of Canaan. And he says, now the reproach of Egypt is rolled away. And the place was called Gilgal, which means rolling away. The idea meaning that reproach of Egypt, that language, is referring to just what Moses' concern was. Mm. Like, as long as they don't come into the land, the nations are always going to say God was too weak to bring them into the mm. land. And so once they came into land, God reestablishes the, the, the circumcision covenant, and now the reproach of Egypt is rolled away. Right. And God is vindicated, if you will, mm -hmm. as the one who did what he said he was exactly. going to do. He said a thing and it happened. And that's Moses' you know, mm -hmm. issue here. It's like, Lord, this is, he, how many times did he say, you and your, your name, yes. your, your, and I, I was reminded as we were thinking about this as Daniel, and he was, when he was praying about the, the 70 years of captivity, yes. he says, Lord, it's your name. 
You, right. You're the one who said it, and and not for our righteousness, but you're on the line here. Absolutely. We see this theme throughout the Bible. Can you go to Ephesians 3, verse 10? Sure. Oh, I love Ephesians 3. This is a now great the lesson. Now, the lesson is bringing up this thought at the bottom of Wednesday, and then at the thought question in that highlighted part of the bottom of Wednesday is picking up on this. So I want you to read Ephesians 3, 10, and then I'll pose the question and ask. Sure. And this starts as, as almost all the Apostle Pauls do in the middle of a sentence, yes. but it says, <laughs> To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, Pastor Hart, whenever I teach on this particular, yes. I'll ask people, well, well, I'll look it up, I'll read it out loud and have them read along, and I say, now, who does he want his manifold wisdom to be taught to? And time and again, people are like, to the church. And I'm like, no, that's not what it says. It says, by the church, to the principality. So in his, heavenly places. It's like his audience is the heavenly beings, and he's going to use is, the church as his teaching tool, his object lesson. So this is, this is just astounding because, first of all, uh, manifold wisdom of God just means many faceted, like yeah. this fullness of complex. You know, it's big because, and we're going to get into that in just a moment with the justice of God. Like there are things that we don't fully grasp about God, but that's being worked out by what happens on the earth mm. through God's people through the church. And so the question posed in the, in the thought of the end of the lesson says, "How is the manifold wisdom of God made manifest to the cosmos through the church by, by the, the church?" church it says, yeah. and it's very similar thinking to, in fact. Um, Wednesday's lesson, uh, the last paragraph, says, In other words, what we see here is a theme found all through the Bible. The idea that God is to be glorified in his people. That the glory and goodness and love and power of God are to be revealed in his church through what he does through his people. Mm. Of course, he doesn't always make it easy for him to do... They, uh, His people don't always make it e easy. It doesn't make... Pardon me. His people don't always make it easy for him to do this, but ultimately God will be glorified through his people's actions on the earth. And so many texts come to my mind. We were talking about this. Matthew 5, where Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. glorify your Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. Your good works glorify your Father in heaven. Well, you mentioned Jesus on the cross. Where yeah, said, Jesus on the cross is fascinating because in, in John chapter 12, verse 31, he talks about an eye, if I am lifted up, will draw all. And how do all. we quote it, typically? Yeah, we always say, I'll draw all men or all people to Because that's me. what it says. Right, but if you look in the Bible there, like in my New King James Version, it has the word peoples after all italicized, which is not there in the original. It's just a clarifying right. term, assuming, well, we mean all people. But what Jesus was saying was all. You read the Desire of Ages account about what Jesus mm -hmm. happened on the cross, that it wasn't just winning the loss to him or even showing off his glory here on the earth. That's right. But there's a cosmic element. There's the universal right. perspective that there's an audience up there well, we just, as well as down here. We just read in Ephesians mm -hmm. that it was revealed... God's wisdom was revealed yes. by the church to the principalities well, and, the... and powers in heavenly places. Um, we see it in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. I was going to say, that's not, that's not the only time Paul says it. He's not just using flowery rhetoric. He says a repeated theme In Colossians, this, right? he talks about things being reconciled both in heaven and on earth. I mean, right. all through Scripture, right. we see that in this whole great controversy, God's reputation is at stake. And what is happening here in his interaction with the earth is manifesting his manifold wisdom well, in the universe. Well, in, in our discussion before this, we had mentioned how um, some people will push back against that idea of, of 
God using us to show anything about himself. Right. Like, why does he need us to vindicate him? He's God. He can just be himself, and that's enough. Well, and I kind of mentioned how, an like, artist. he's like, an artist has the talent. Everything is in him. Right. But he Why uses, does he need a canvas? Why does he need a canvas? Don't you know he's an artist? <laughs> well, the, the canvas shows, demonstrates his that's work. True. And this is what Christ wants his people to be, a, a, a canvas of character, if you will that he can do something in us. Well, it's interesting. Ellen White highlights, brings up, on the, builds on this point, Testimonies, Volume 6, page 13, paragraph 1. She actually quotes from Deuteronomy 7, 6, and then Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, talking about... The, this the, is your wisdom in the sight yes, of all the people. Yes, talking about how right. God's people are revealing God's goodness. And then she says, Even these words fail of expressing the greatness and the glory of God's purpose to be accomplished through his people. Not to this world only, but to the universe are we to make manifest the principles of his kingdom. The mm. Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, says, and then she quotes Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, where we just mm -hmm. read. So, the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities. So what's happening here with God's church in Deuteronomy and all the way through to our day mm. is a, a fascinating uh, revealing of the wisdom of God and how he deals with men. Well, I've, by the way, Moses' history lesson, I mean, we're not just learning about history here. Clearly, like the things we've even touched on so far, order and organization, yes. those are themes that are still relevant that's today. Exactly right. You talk about like the revealing of the character of God in his people. That is a theme alive and well in the New Testament, in the last days especially. And moving into talking point number three, here's... <laughs> You ever hear much about justice these days? <laughs> is that a contemporary theme as well? Of mm -hmm. course it is. So we're not just learning about history here. We're learning about present application. Absolutely. But what is this justice? Well, let's issue? talk about the... Now, and the talking point of actually taking this from a statement that we're going to look at in a moment, that God's justice is the fruit of his love. Ellen White says that. Mm -hmm. But the lesson highlights the... Um, dispossession of the nations from, you know, in other words, when Israelite was to take the land of Canaan, it wasn't empty. <laughs> there were people there. Mm -hmm. And they had to go and dispossess the, the, the land of the people, take the dispossess the people of their land, take it away from them. Mm -hmm. And they would, in many cases, destroy men, women, and children. And I can't totally answer that. And the yeah. lesson highlights it. This is a thing, in fact, it's uh uh, brings up this concept of uh, this taking of the land, and it brings up this on the fourth paragraph of Thursday's lesson. There's no question. Oh, no, no, that's not what I was going to look at. Um, the second paragraph. Of course, this brings up the difficult topic, which we must at least touch on regarding the destruction of these people. Though the children of Israel... Um, mm -hmm would often speak first peace first to a nation and give some examples yet if the people didn't accept that offer sometimes the israelites would go in and destroy them including women and children and it cites deuteronomy 2 33 and 34 and so yeah how do we deal with this issue of god's justice mm. yeah it, it's always interesting because I don't know why I didn't think about it, but any time they refer to the land of Canaan, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. Yes. And then it'll list off the people in the land. You know, the Jews, yes. Ammonites, the Jebusites, the That's Terrorites. Right. All the and ites. It's like, all the ites are in there. It's like, well, it's occupied. Right. And when they get to the border of the promised land, you remember the spies go in there and they're like, hey, it's beautiful, but it's not empty. God's like, I know, it, it, this is part of it. So the Lord didn't give them an empty land. And you think like, well, if the Lord was picking out mm. these people, he would just clear the path. And make, but there were these other people there. And That's right. sometimes I think we read into that like, 
God had his own one special people, and all the other ones were just gross to him. He just wanted to mm-hmm. get rid of them. And, and I don't believe that's the picture that we see in Scripture. No, the lesson actually brings out earlier. I mean, you have in the, in the beginning of Deuteronomy, it talks about, uh, or uh, it, perhaps I may, may have read it in the lesson, but somewhere in this course of the Exodus, God had told Moses, don't, you know, fight against the, um, uh, the Amorites yet. Don't fight against mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, 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 the Another, nations descending yeah. from Lot, the descendants of Lot, the descendants of Esau. Esau yeah. it, and in fact, it says that it talks about the giants and how God gave, there were other giants beside the Anakim and God gave their land to the descendants of Lot. Mm. So there were other nations that weren't God's, you know, direct, like Israel, that God worked in behalf of, and they dispossessed the land from somebody else. And we get a clue as to what was going on in Genesis 15. And the lesson mm-hmm. highlights this in this whole account where God called Abraham. It says in Genesis 15:16. Do you have that there? I do. Just read verse 16, if you would. It says, but, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here. He's speaking about the 400 years of yes. difficulty that his descendants would have, right? But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet, and my version says complete, but yes. the King James says full. Full. And I and I use the King James just that idea of full, filling up a cup, and, and I think of Babylon whose cup is full. Mm-hmm. And so there's a measure of iniquity that that where it reaches a point where God says that that nation has exhausted all of her privileges and opportunities. And I think we have to keep in mind that everybody on this planet is here on probation. We all deserve Mm. death. God gave an extended period for us to choose him and to choose mercy. There's all kinds of factors related here. One thing that we had talked about before is the Israelites did not end up destroying all the people of Canaan. They started Mm. out that way and then they stopped. And what happened is they became pulled down and, Mm. and made idolaters by those that were left in the Mm. land. In other words, God had a far-seeing reason for what he was doing, number one. Number two, all that destruction happened under a theocracy when the people, it wasn't like they're on their own said, I'm fed up with these people and I'm going to go and wipe them out. It's not the vengeance of the Israelites. It's hard for us to understand how an army acts under the direct theocratic uh, role of God, which has not been since Israel, you know, and what have you. So, those well, furthermore, are the other thing that I like about this, the sin of the Amorites, you know, the iniquity is not yet full or complete. Mm-hmm. The idea being that God already had in mind his chosen people. He's like, mm-hmm. but I'm going to stretch this out. That's exactly Not right. for your sake, but for theirs. So when they encounter these people groups later on, it's not like they're just arbitrarily, indiscriminately in the way and God's just wiping them up because right. he doesn't care. He's been dealing with them for centuries That's exactly up to right. this point. And just because it's not recorded in scripture, all the details of it, we can trust all that we can see of God what we can't see in his dealings with other That's people. That's right. One of the things I, I have in the lesson outline here is that, you know, last week's memory verse is that God is love. And we have to remember that what that tells us is the acts of God define love. Mm. However foreign to our own way of thinking, like we want to superimpose our idea of love. And we see that a lot of what our society calls love is just indulgence. Mm. You know, what do you do with it? What would we do in our society if a person said, look, I'm going to kill people as long as I have availability to do it. So you put me behind bars. I'm telling you, as soon as I get you try to reform me, you put your hands <laughs> through I'm just going to kill people and kill people and kill people. You got to deal you, with that brother somehow. And, and I'm just yeah. using that as a, as a weak example. But the point is, God knew the direction that these nations were going. Mm. And his justice is not just for those who have rejected him, but what about the others? There were times when God moved in it. Look, here's a nation who's had his day of privilege. In fact, there's a fascinating quote in Desire of Ages 587. 
It says, in every age there may there is given to men their day of light and privilege, a probationary time in which they may become reconciled to God. But there is a limit to this grace. Here comes the limit. Uh, there is mercy may plead for years and be slighted and rejected, but there comes a time when mercy makes her last plea. The heart becomes so hardened that it ceases to respond to the Spirit of God. Then the sweet winning voice entreats the sinner no longer and reproofs and warnings cease. Mm. Now only God knows when that time is, but when the right. heart, when this person can no longer be reached, but this person can, and this person is impeding this person, what's a God of justice to do? Right. And I'm going to say at the end of the day, First of all, we know we got to superimpose the gospel upon all this and realize that in the New Testament we see it's clear that God wants to save everyone. Absolutely. And the intention is to save everyone. So at the end of the day, we can come and find fault with God in the judgment, but I'm going to say that every one of it, when we when we look at everything he's done to save, we'll realize that there's no better way that it could have been done. Absolutely. And, um, I, and I love the thought that God wasn't just working with Israel. He's been working with the whole world. He said, the whole world is mine. You just happen to be exactly a special right. treasure to reach the world. So he's managing more than, he's walking and chewing gum at the same time. He's doing more things than once. That's right. So I said I was going to bring this up. It's in the outline. Desire of Ages 6, uh, 762. God's love has been expressed in his justice, no less than in his mercy. Justice is the foundation of his throne and the fruit of his love. Mm. It's not love and justice. It's justice because he's love. Amen. And the lesson brings up a great thing. If you look at the last, could you read the last paragraph on Thursday's lesson? Sure. It says, the fact is that for now, given the limited information we have about the full context of the events, we just need to accept this hard reality and trust in the goodness of God, which has been revealed in so many other ways. Now, that's mm -hmm. an important. We, what we see about God informs what we don't know about right. God. God's right? not asking us to believe blindly. We have lots right. of evidence. And he goes on to say, faith isn't just about loving God on a beautiful day in a pretty forest full of wonderful sights <laughs> and sounds. It's also about trusting him despite what we don't fully understand. That's right. Ooh, Brother Howard, our time is up, but these are some <laughs> heavy themes. Every one of those talking points could be a full lesson, so I trust that the Sabbath school classes in every local church are going to be blessed by a deep study of God's Word Absolutely. this week. But let's close with prayer. Well, let's, oh, I want to finish this in conclusion. Oh, the, please. The lesson started with a statement, and we put it at the end. I think it highlights really the whole book of Deuteronomy and what we're going to see. Speaking of our history, uh, it says, In reviewing our past history, Having traveled over every step of advance to our present standing, I can say, praise God. As I see what the Lord has wrought, I am filled with astonishment and with confidence in Christ as leader. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. And this, what we're looking at in Deuteronomy, is a big chunk of that teaching. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. We're so happy to have life and 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 all the things in it, but you give us the context for the life and the history lessons that we can apply in our daily experience now. Please, Lord, help us to learn these lessons and put them into practice as your Holy Spirit leads. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.